Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. I had to stop letting Alice catch me listening to my own podcast. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to the Winemakers. This is uh, Brian Casey with Bard Hanson. You were recording all that? Uh, just that last okay. bit there. <laughs> we're, we're hanging out on the uh, back porch at the 16600 Tasting House with Elaine Chuck and Brown, a.k.a. Hawk Waka Waka. Happy birthday. Thank you. Oh, happy birthday. <laughs> I know we should have had champagne. Yeah. I just sent it all to Montara. We can just um, shake up this bottle of... Um, Rosé here. Perfect. Maybe it'll seem a little spritzy. Well, I have to, I'm going to tell a quick story. I just talked to my mom, and since we know that she has downloaded Podcast listener number one. Right. Biggest um, fan. She was, she had to pull over the car the other day because she was laughing so hard at um, one of our podcasts. Um, So, but I don't, I don't recall what one, she didn't say which one it was or what it was about. It was something where we were intending to be funny. Correct. So the fact that she, (laughs) yeah, just like, oh my God, that's my son. I got to pull over and laugh or cry at something. (laughs) You know, Bruce Willis's mom, her favorite movie is the one everybody else hates. Hudson Hawk. Okay. Yeah, just to keep things in perspective. Hudson Hawk. Th- that movie, it's it, it it's one of those guilty pleasure. I love that movies. movie. Yeah, I know. It's but th- my whole goal with films is not to think. So Hudson Hawk is perfect. Right. You know, it's goofy. They're on like wheels racing around. There's a nun. I mean, what else is there? You know. It's it's actually kind of beautiful the way that they film it because it's like ballet. It's comedy ballet. Yeah, yeah, totally. And yeah. the way they're trying to rob the houses, but it's always done. So if they know it's going to take like four minutes and 21 seconds to rob the house, then they pick a song that's four minutes and 21 seconds long, and then they both sing it the whole time. So even if they're in different parts of the house, they're like in sync. Wow. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it at that. And it's wow. usually like Sinatra yeah, or something Because they were like deadheads, right? Oh, my God. Yeah, right. We have 19 minutes to rob this house. That is... Uh, <laughs> Two robberies in the movie and it's done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, we got a lot of wine on the table today. We and and of course, since Elaine here, we uh, we had to bust out a little Chardonnay. And I don't know if you want to talk about the Chardonnay right now, or you want to talk about how we're going to attack these different rosés. We got uh, well, let's, I mean, since we're actively drinking the Chardonnay here, and I, I don't know who's spitting. It doesn't look like anybody. Uh, so this is 2013 Mayakamas Chardonnay, uh, a special bottling from a block that was. Um, Ripped out basically right after it was harvested. Um, the terraces of block of Chardonnay, which I think is still fallow. Um, maybe they're thinking about replanting it, um, debating what to put there right now. Um, this is the first wine that I ever bought an entire case of, um, and the only bottle of California Chardonnay in my trophy bottle collection on the top of my bookshelf in my house. Um, so, so how old were these vines when they pulled them? Do you know? Probably, you know, from like 1960s plantings would be my guess. I mean, that's pretty much the age that everything was there. They hadn't been replanting in a long time. Well, and I thought they were getting less than a um, ton an acre at that point, too. Yeah, I mean, it was was, um, pretty much like uh, you couldn't keep making Chardonnay from those vines and farm them, certainly farm them the way that we would farm them and ever have a chance of, you know, being profitable as a winery. Well, and the cool thing is, from what I understand, these these vines went all the way back to cuttings that Mayakamas originally got from Ernest um, Wente himself. And so, so really, which, and the... His vines, 
went all the way back to early 1900s selections directly from France. So, so this is like the Wente shot red, Yeah, but like old, old Wente, not not Wente we get now. You right, know? right. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that they've, the idea with Maya Kamis as, you know, doing the redevelopment was to retain as much of that um, original genetics as possible. I know they added some um, other heritage clones from other sites and, and then some modern clones of things, but... Um, they did do, uh, you know, and this was, you know, between sort of directed by Andy and my, and my dad, Andy Erickson, um, to keep as much of your those. dad, Andy Erickson, what my, my dad, Andy, and and oh, and, and yeah, and Andy, 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 no, <laughs> Andy Erickson is not my father, <laughs> it'd be surprising. It, uh, I think there's a list of people who would, starting with my mother, probably, who would be surprised <laughs> about that. Um, also. I don't know how old Andy is, but it might be it, possible. It might be possible. You know, it could yeah. have been like one of those 1980s sci-fi movie experiments where they're like doing clone splicing, <laughs> and they, they he comes out of the womb. They're like, "This is a good one. Let's make some things happen." He's about ten. They just like do some blood draw, you know. Side uh, your mom is cool, and they're like, "This. Let's see how it goes." You know. It, it and could so be. no, it you know, be. no surprises for your mom except she had a blood draw one time that was right, used in ways she didn't expect. You know. Um, I feel like this could be a movie. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. 19, early 1980s sci-fi was all about weird storylines like this. You know. Can we get Jeff Goldblum. You think? A little like to play Andy Erickson. Something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really tall Andy Erickson. Really yeah. tall Andy Erickson. <laughs> That'd be a good opportunity for product placement, though, wouldn't it? Right. Absolutely. I know some people that might want to get their wine in that movie. <laughs> it's probably more that the producers and directors will use it as a way to get them their hands on, you know, <laughs> Screaming Eagle, say, <laughs> or something like that. So back to the wine. Oh, the wine. <laughs> this is what wine inspires in people, you absolutely, know, like creativity, this is fresh thinking. Cousin car crashes all over <laughs> Petaluma. <Yeah. laughs> it's really nice Chardonnay, though, because it's just, it's got a fantastic spine, but there's still plenty of flavor there, you know? It's yeah. just that snappy. Yep, a nice long acidity, nice long finish. Hmm. And it's, you know, it's it's, um, rounded enough, it's it's classic enough, Yeah. um, and also, you know, it's uh, clearly of Mayakamas. It's like, this couldn't have been grown or made anywhere else on the the planet. Well, it Um, feels like it's really clearly that vintage, too, that structural focus of 13, you know? I, I mean, you probably would be better versed to talk about 13 is Chardonnay. one of my favorite vintages in the last several decades. So, it's just, I mean, yeah, 13 was a good year around here. I, I mean, just like the structural intensity of that year, you know, but mm-hmm. there's still just enough flavor to hold it. 13 was sort of beginning of the throes of the drought. Yeah. 12 was the first real on, drought year. But it's not full on bony, though. Yeah. Like some right. Once you get into like 14, 15. Oh, interesting. Yeah. What was the weather like in thirteen? I'm. That's what I'm, I'm trying to think. Going back, it was earlish harvest. Early harvest. Early harvest. It was, it not was crazy hot. Pretty, pretty steady. R- right, and it was pretty uneventful as far as like yeah. weather yeah. happenings. But they got. But we got rain in parts of California just as the fruit was starting to show, but not during set. Right. So it was like fruit was starting to emerge, right. and you got just enough rain, so the vines were like woohoo, mm. and then yeah, you know, so you got that balance of a little more flavor than you'd right. expect. Right. Little bigger canopies. Yeah, as I recall, 13, um, I made Zin and 
and Shannon Blanc. And the Shannon at that point was still from Clarksburg. Mm. Um, and so that was early and very zippy um, on the acid. And uh, um, the Zin was a great Zin year because- Where'd you get the Zin from that year? From Los Chamazal. And it um, got ripe early with flavor and didn't go to shrivel. Um, which is, you know, kind of typical sometimes when it, it on top of the mountain. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Um, but, but I don't remember really any weather. Yeah, events. I remember it as pretty even. Yeah. That year. <clears throat> little, like early, but, but steady. Sam, how many bottles of this you got left? Uh, I have three bottles of this left. This was my f- fourth to last bottle. I had one corked bottle that I um, brought over to a dinner at Morgan Twain Peterson's house. Just to be friendly? Just he was like, like, which one's cork? I'll bring that one? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> I have a curious hidden talent just sniffing out TCA, and then he starts barking. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, you know, 11, 11 bottles of it. Um, one is on my, the first one that I opened is on my, my bookshelf at home. Um, and I got three more. I don't think I'm going to open any of them for a long time. Yeah, these, this, this thing's got a long ways. Yeah, yeah. this is it's, the last one I'm gonna open for a while. As it's starting to open up a little bit, it's really yeah. good. Yeah, I noticed Brian's glass is empty already. Oh yeah, poor Brian. <laughs> Brian, you like Chardonnay? Sure, why not? <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> well, you guys have sort of deemed me the Chardonnay, um, the Chardonnay queen of the winemakers the queen for some reason <laughs> because I didn't touch one for like eight years and then came out of Rhone World and started working at a conventional restaurant mm. where I started drinking some shards some pinot and some cab you just you'd had enough of marsans trying to be chardonnay for no no never <laughs> not enough just have a little it's a little easier to sell chardonnay but it was kind of an eye-opening or it has been an eye-opening thing for you now working at sante and that you know almost how unknown Rhone wines are to certain clientele, and they still only think about Chardonnay Cabernet, right? It's it's Pinot first, and then it's Chard, and then you know you have your people that just like Cap, right? And everything else is um, a conversation. Sits. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things where, you know, of course I'm making a percentage on the money, so I want to sell a really nice bottle. Typically, Rhone varietals a little less expensive too, so. You know, you're responsible well, we're working, for... We're working to change it. <laughs> right. Thank God. <laughs> can only sell so much Vutelegraph or... <laughs> I mean, you know, if there's worse things in the world to have to do. Um, no, and I think we've talked about this before, though. Like, we kind of live in a Sandra-created Rhone bubble in our Sonoma it's wine. It's unique can, in the world, right? for sure, yeah. And it's a really... I mean, it's pretty impressive what she's pulled off, right? Because, I mean... People come from all over just to go to that restaurant. Right. And winemakers all over California, I hear from them, they get so excited if they make it on that list. It's a big deal. I mean, I think that there's people who make a tiny amount of a roan just Just to be on that list. Just to be on that list. Yeah. 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 I remember um, one time uh, when Sondra used to have the girl in the gaucho Mm. and Jeff Bunchu, they planted Tempranillo on the ranch out there. And the reason why they did is because he wanted, they didn't have any Rhone varieties, but they planted Tempranillo and he figured that's how you get a wine on. Get into the gaucho? On the, on the gaucho. Did the, I, I don't know if. I don't know the if the. Restaurant if, lasted long enough for those vines to be fruitful. That's exactly what yeah. I was thinking. Because that's kind of the way it was literally happened. Um, so, yeah. But they're still making Tempranillo. Uh, you know. Uh, is Tempranillo one of the uh, varieties that. 
Dan Petrosky is is planting in their like ex- oh, the, the, experimental the experimental block, block that yeah. uh, Esther Mobley wrote about a couple weeks ago. Up at Larkmead. Uh, yeah. You know, Tempranillo in our changing climate could be really delicious in California. Yeah, I mean, you know, when I think of one of places where I've experienced it were Lake County, um, Alexander Valley, you know, up on the hills, um, you know, hot sp- places. I, I mean, I'm not very familiar with Tempranillo, but I assume it's more of a hot, hot well, weather. Well, it likes right, heat, right? but it also has low acid, so that's the only thing. It's moderate mm. to low acid, so, you know, some of the varieties people are looking at for dealing with climate change they have that like heat but keep acid combo right. so tempranillo right. is a little bit of a mixed bag i right. think but okay. we don't know right. so people are willing to try because it does do well in the foothills hotter pockets of you know like like you're saying lake county right so it clearly does do well um and the thing is tempranillo wines in barrel you know their ph is a little higher but actually they hold just fine and right. they might get a little bit of brett but a little bit of brett works with the profile of the grape right. so it's still workable you yeah know? Hmm. yeah they where were they getting the tempranillo from that they were um doing an imagery uh pine mountain pine. and then well first it was lake county like when i was there it was lake county but then when they um took over that ranch or they bought that ranch on the top of pine mountain then they planted well they planted everything there um, I mean, they have they have Riesling next to Tempranillo, ten next to Port varieties. I mean, they put in everything up there. Mixed bag, so, yeah. Tempranillo yeah. at elevation though gives it a little more structure, and that brings some interest. It yeah, be really nice. We'll just maybe get a bottle of that and try it. Yeah, I mean, if you added you know, with some volcanic soils, some um, diurnal shift, yeah, maybe help hold on to a little of that yeah. acidity. I mean, I think that's at like twenty two hundred feet, so there's definitely yeah. a well. Uh, but like All in those elements. in yeah. Spain, it was often grown and and made with Graciano because Graciano is so insanely high acid that the two balanced each other out. Yeah, you know? that's what I was going to say. It would be a fun blender, um, but I don't know if you know with Grenache, obviously, it would be a well. That's ba- that's around. basically Rioja, right? Is yeah, exactly. Yeah. Tempranillo Graciano. Yeah. And so Graciano's taking a little foothold down in um, the central coast now, and people on, are on making an accident, right? On accident, yeah. yeah I thought they were I planning saw a lot that. of Impossible Robles. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. you want to tell that story a little bit? Because I don't know if everybody knows that yeah, story. Yeah, so um, the two varieties also have an alternate name that's really close Monastrel and Moristel. Yes. And so people brought in Graciano under its other Spanish name, and the letters are close enough that the spelling got switched. So they thought they had Monastrel. <laughs> Um, which is Marvedra. And this is like at UC Davis, right? This is, yeah. Well, coming into a nursery in, uh, in um, California. And so then um, there's a little Marvedra boom in California. So all these people were trying to expand plantings of it, especially in the central coast um, around Paso Robles extended area and some down in Santa Barbara County as well. And so all these people bought up what they thought was Monastrel and established it. But it would come in a couple weeks earlier than what they were used to and everything was a little different the chemistry was all a little different but they really liked it and so finally um justin smith at saxon he had it in his home vineyard and he was really not convinced it was actually morved so he sent it in to davis to get tested and they were like oh this is graciano and so um all these people ended up accidentally with graciano but now they had already worked with it a couple years by the time it was figured out and they realized they really liked it. So a lot yeah. of people actually have decided to keep it. Because the advantage of Graciano, it likes heat and keeps acid like we were just talking about. And it's um, 
you know, it's just a really refreshing wine, and especially with the way styles have changed towards people being interested in that real mouthwatering freshness, good acid. It just hits right. that really nicely. And like deeper toned flavors, but still bright acidity. It's a nice combo. It's it's interesting. You, you, you kind of almost wonder, because when I think of Mouved, is I think about the whiteness of the leaves, you know, the back of the leaves. And it's, I mean, that's the way you can kind of tell, at least early in the season, it's very obvious that that's a different block and so you just wonder yeah i think on the vine that was part one part of the of early indicators it wasn't looking and they were like uh morved and so but people kept saying oh it's just a different selection yeah, yeah you know right. and and, and finally yeah. yeah so finally just selection. yeah <laughs> very different <laughs> yeah that stuff happens you know so in restaurants we have to label everything that goes in the walk-in and when you are working with latino chefs sometimes the the translations get a little awkward or or weird i remember we had a honeyed goat cheese that we had and we're serving with the cheese platter and somehow got labeled horny got cheese. <laughs> <laughs> so, and that's, uh, there's a whole medication for that. There's <laughs> really, yeah. uh, you know, sounds like something you should see a doctor uh, about. Bukowski um. wrote about that problem a lot. <laughs> yeah. You know, he got, he got treatment. Um, it's what Did recommend. it take us like 114 episodes to get our first Charles Bukowski reference on the podcast? I, I I'm proud so. to be here. I'm um, proud to do what I can to continue. We were really slacking until you came around. <laughs> uh, there's actually there's a whole like Instagram account devoted to the random things that get written on the tape in restaurant walk-ins. Oh, I got it. Really? Oh, like and this sort of like mistranslated, uh, misinterpreted. Yeah, it's I can't even remember what it's called right now, but yeah, that's this, really this, funny. This, you know, I'm gonna find that. Yeah, you gotta find that, and and add horny goat. goat I ha- I, if I have the picture, I'll post it on the winemaker's Instagram account. It's I thought it was the funniest thing. I had to take. I did take a photo of it. Horny got cheese. Horny got cheese. <laughs> They've really changed things up at Sante, haven't they? Uh, that actually wasn't at Sante. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right, I know exactly. The- that was another place down the street. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Where they label everything too. <laughs> All right, well, into the rosé, what do you think? Should we dive into the rosé or should yeah. we just keep drinking Chardonnay? So I brought two rosés, one of them that I got The most at, popular rosé is in America. That, that's what I'm saying. Uh, one of them is the John Bon Jovi Gerard Bertrand. Oh, holy heck. Wow. Uh, uh, <laughs> what do you call it? Uh, did you call I, I, up John to get the deets before uh, you brought yeah, it? Did, did, did Bon Jovi send you a tech sheet? <laughs> no. it's. Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking that's the one we need to start with. Uh, there's yeah, plenty of press yeah, out there. If you need to find out what's in the wine, there's a lot of press out there. Supposedly, uh, John has a, had a lot to do with the... Uh, ma- and what I thought was interesting is this got like number 83 of the top 100 wines and wine enthusiasts. What I really want, though, is a um, stylistic evolution of Bon Jovi's hair done in, as um, integrated with the tasty notes of the wine. <laughs> Dearest friends, you have great taste. You're, you have just picked up your new favorite bottle of wine. All you have to know is it's French, it tastes best when it's cold, and you better buy an extra bottle because its stuff goes quick. We know it's going to make you the life of the party. Believe us, we've been there. Now go on and get to that dinner or party or beach or whatever. Just know that we got your back. Truly yours, H.W. Hampton Water. Uh, Hampton Water. Hampton Water. So you got to drink it cold. That's the first thing. Got to drink it cold. And then how he was involved. And you need to buy two bottles. It was probably, you know, there were probably... 12 different tanks that are all 12,000 gallons each of rosé, and he picked it which tank he wanted, right? <laughs> so it's from south of France. It says... But it, it's named for New York. That's great. Um, and, well, it's, it's AOC is actually the Langendock. Yeah. 
So they just say South of France on the front label because South of France has no actual right. meaning. Um, back label copy, just to keep this going and keep... So that, that all... Right, I should say. That whole thing that I just read is actually what is on the front of the label. Um, with so, a sort of... I guess that's a modern swimsuit. Woman diving headfirst into a tank of rosé. Well, rose. it is laced up. It's I mean, laced is it up on also the side. leather, you know? Uh, Maybe not leather, but... I mean, a leather swimsuit doused like, in rosé would be... It would be intense. Would be intense. A little musky. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I'll stop talking about it and pour it. A little it. savory. <laughs> but you got to read what's on the back. Is, it's a unique blend of rosé made from traditional grapes. That's what it says on the back. It's I, it's Grenache, oh yeah. Syrah, yeah, so got, Mavedra, and so. Right. So, so it's you know it's rosé. Just initial like. Well, no, I'm gonna let you guys all taste it. I'll keep my own thoughts and comments. Right, it's also, is, and I don't know where where did you get this. Uh, Safeway twenty two dollars. Safeway twenty like dollars. Twenty this is dollars. Wow, that's, that's this a lot is for rosé. And it's twenty seventeen. Is it? It's twenty seventeen on the bottle. It is. So they're aged blowing out. Rose. They're blowing out last, last year's last vintage, year's waiting for the new one to come. Aged, aged, aged Hampton ro- water. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not bad. You know, it's like I'm surprised it's twenty two bucks, but it's a it's exactly Languedoc rosé. Mm-hmm. You know, it's exactly what you think it tastes like. I mean, it's it has that vitamin C, like chewable vitamin C mm-hmm. um, taste. You oh, know, totally. Ascorbic yeah, yeah. acid, yeah. or like they hit it with a big shot of citric acid, right. To preserve it, you probably know? a big shot of citric acid that was well diluted. Um, yeah, right. Because they yeah. don't they don't add water in France, but right. They but can, they add a, a lot of citric at bottling. Yeah, diluted. To <laughs> what is it? What is the alcohol on it listed? Thirteen. Thirteen. Yeah. Does it say who imported it? Uh, West Wine LLC out of Sausalito. West Wine LLC. Yeah. I wonder if they know about Garrett's wine tour company. <laughs> Maybe this is Garrett's company. We Garrett's, don't know. Garrett's importing oh Hampton God. Water. I, I think something. that um, isn't the full name "Diving into Hampton Water"? Like, isn't it this whole? Yeah, that I mean, that's that what, what it says. The label says, yeah. Extended name wine. Is that like? Yeah, I mean, even the back label it says "Diving into Hampton," and the O in Hampton is a drip water of pink drip of rosé. Yeah. Because they just make the one wine, right? Just the rosé. God, let's hope so. Let's twenty-two dollars <laughs> for. I mean, you know, how many million, th- hundred thousands of cases of this? Gerard Bertrand owns a lot of. Gerard Bertrand owns a lot of vineyards. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they got their pick, and they're they're killing it with the Coats de Roses right now. And right. those of you that shop at Costco, you know, or even Seven uh, Eleven in Boys Hot Springs carries the Coats de Roses Bertrand. But that's one of the world's great Seven Elevens. <laughs> And what determines the criteria for a great 7-Eleven? Um, proximity to the middle school. So when you're okay. 13 and need a Slurpee on your way home from class, from school. 13% yeah. too. You know, um, that's pretty steep for Rosé. Yeah. It's, uh, anyway, uh, the wine. I I they may glass. or may not. Um, did I what steal? Hell? Did right here. Oh, no, there. Okay, um, sorry. They may or may not. Start yeah, it, um, it tastes like pool water to, to me. I mean, it tastes like a, a pool drink. Yeah, no, if you could keep it cold enough. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah can you gets, imagine it gets bitter as it warms this up, in so. L.A. at like one of those hot hotels with the people out at the pool? This like is probably some rooftop As long as they're projecting Bon Jovi videos, oh. it'll totally work. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> Is that living on a prayer? Mm-hmm. Okay. That was <laughs> that was uh, that was my keyboard rendition. Uh, Aubrey Huff's walk up music and when he was a giant. All right, and then the, the next rosé we have is um, I, is it Las Jarras? This is hipster Las water, right? Okay. So it is a classified as a natural wine, and I got this at uh, Miracle. Miracle Plum. Which can I get them a shout out? Absolutely. Yeah, they're cool. So and they love Althea. I got to go sell them some wine because they, with my daughter. Their name kept coming up in conversations, um, whether it was about food or about wine. And so um, yesterday, I just kind of looked it up. I was at Abby's swim practice in Santa Rosa and saw that um, that they were close. So I told Abby, we're just going to stop on the way home. And it's... Um, because this is like right in downtown Railroad Square, Santa Rosa, right? It, yeah, it's, it's almost underneath the almost underneath the freeway. 208 Davis Street. And it's this tiny little cute little spot. Um, and it's uh, Sally and Gwen. And I asked them why they opened the shop. They said, because we live really close to here and there was no place for us to walk to to get like a grab-and-go, something to eat, and wine. And right now they don't have a kitchen. They're sourcing some stuff from another um, kitchen, but they are going to build a kitchen. So they've been open about a year. They said they're just figuring it out. And they have a a nice uh, natural wine selection, which as far as I know today just means minimal intervention, low sulfites. So you guys could both have your wines in there Yeah, I I stopped in and... um, I think I was in just after Sam. You guys had been in, or maybe uh, well, I didn't, Alice. Alice, I was. was in. I, that was Alice and uh, my my apron making brother-in-law. Right. Oh, Charlie. that's right. Yeah. yeah. Shout out to White Park Workwear. Um, I really and, want them to make me an apron dress. White Park Workwear. An apron dress? Yeah. Wait, would it have a back dress. on it? Yeah. Okay. okay. I'm not interested in showing my bare ass. Talk waka waka comes to work. Like no. I wasn't okay. sure if maybe you had a tattoo you know, on your back. I'm not doing that. You know, I do have a tattoo on my back. It know, still does not change. Well, you got to make it then. So I'm not gonna. I just want to dress. I know, then, an then apron. It's, it's got to be a V like then in the stuff. back, so you can showcase the tattoo, but then cover the butt. Right. Um. <laughs> I really like that the. The aprons. Know, you know, I really like that your rosé is here. The combo oh, with the, combi. The, uh, the combo the, with combi. This is my the, way the of changing the subject. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> wait, can I, can I, I make you talk say, about my ass? Can we go back, <laughs> we go back to the wine again? Yeah, because, okay, <laughs> I think a lot of this people... This isn't the Dressmakers podcast? <laughs> this is the 2018 rosé Old Vine Mendocino County that's got... It's primarily Zen, but it's got like Car- Carnion, Alicante, a bunch of other stuff. But the one I think that people are most familiar with is the Super Bloom. That if you follow Marissa Ross on her Instagram mm. account, she you know she's always holding the, one of those. It looks Mar- like a Marissa Ross. Test it looks like someone murdered a, a clown. Like it's got just rainbow yeah. colors on that front label. That these guys make that one. Too. So this is this is um, and that's sold out. Also a celebrity, <laughs> maybe not quite the level of bon da- John Bon Jovi. Oh, this right, is uh, right. Eric Warheim, who um, you know the Tim and Eric Awesome Show comedian. Um, plays and maybe actually is Aziz Anasari's best friend in uh, his Netflix show Master of None. Um, okay. Big tall goofy guy. Who's a big foodie. Uh, and th- big foodie. And, and this is his wine label. This is his wine label, yeah. Okay. And they do a bunch of different stuff. I think the one that, you know, my personal favorite, mostly just based on the marketing, is um, a reference to a skit they used to have with John C. Riley yeah. on the Tim and o- er, er, the Tim and Eric Awesome Show um, with Doctor Steve Brule, right. and Doctor Steve Brule goes and like does these ridiculous sort of cultural 
uh, features as like on you know on this show, and um, one of them he goes wine tasting and just gets hammered. And I and think it's about sweet sweet, sweet berry, berry wine. wine. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's something that they make a las las jars well, and las, the las arras. The winemaker is. I don't know. It's Bert. He's the winemaker at yeah. Domaine Chandon. Yeah, Chandon. Yeah. Right. Okay. I'm not sure if he's Joel, still there or not, but that he's Bert. definitely has been there. Yeah. Yeah. He, they lives, just he lives in town. Maybe we can get him on the show. Killer. All right. I don't know how to do those things. I just, I just text, you know, one of the world's top wine writers. Uh, eight in the morning. Say, hey, we're podcasting today. Know, and here they are. He wants to come over. And, and here they are. Uh-huh. I actually like this wine. Yeah, I like. I mean, yeah, well, this is. I mean, uh, this is different. It's mouth filling. Real, yeah. In a way that the Hamptons diving into Hamptons water is is you know, is not not yeah um, yeah yeah. This is, it's 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 got real pretty flavors. Right. Um, yeah. Um, it's a bright and alive again. You know, energy. It's got energy. It's got That's energy. what they all talk about. The energy. They, uh, natural winemakers. The natural the the proverbial they. Yeah. Or just all natural winemakers, also non-binary gender, theys. Zer. Zer. Right. <laughs> Not Zerg, but Zer. <laughs> Wasn't that the dad from Superman? <laughs> what was his name? I haven't seen that movie in a long time. For Z- Christopher Reeves, man. You know, yeah. I still grieve for him, so I just can't really go back to Is he dead? Those movies. Well, yeah. Remember he had that horrible horse accident? Yeah, like but he was in a wheelchair for a long forever. time. I didn't realize he died. that he, he died. But uh, and it was like, and then his wife died six months later, or something oh crazy close like yeah. that. Well, she yeah, there was, was like extra sad. tragedy there, and he died of something. I mean, sort of related but unrelated. Yeah, to it was the... basically like his body just got weaker over time, yeah. and then uh, she ended up with cancer. Um, wow. He lived for well over a decade though, right. injured, Post. and then but they had a little kid who wasn't. I don't know if he was even a teenager yet when they both died. Oh jeez. Yeah. And, and, you see and what I'm saying? He, yes. Can't go back and watch Superman because I know too well what happened later. So, <laughs> Zorg. No. Uh, oh, Zorg is from the Fifth Element. <laughs> yeah, Zorg is Fifth Element. That's not okay. Superman. That's another, that's another celebrity <laughs> winemaker here in town. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Robert Kamen. <laughs> Maybe we'll get him on the podcast one day. He's way more difficult than any of these other people. <laughs> you know, how come we haven't had him on the podcast? Is he not um, a- Well... There was a time when John Myers yeah. uh, had a show at KSVY, and I was, and you were, and you were regular right. participants. I guests. actually heard this show, and it, and, I, and John really wanted me to get Robert on the show, and I, uh, you know, got Robert event finally to show up and talking to microphones with John, and um, John. Basically insulted him in a few different ways. Oh, um, called him Doc Bob, but really the thing that pissed Robert off um, was very personal to him and and still is um, was about Bottle Shock, the the very sort of the movie? Hev- you know ham handed version of the Judgment of Paris story um, that among other things sort of was. Uh, Historically inaccurate, um, but completely removed the Mike Gergich piece of the story from this, you know, basically like a love story storyline. My understanding is Gergich refused to allow them to represent him in the film. Is why oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, probably because it was a terrible movie. Um, so at, but at that time, so this movie was at. John talks about how much he liked it. At that time, Robert was 
actively trying to get a, a historic, like more biopic version of the Judgment of Paris made. And I, you know, he has the script. He had some some investors, but it could never get it off the ground. Um, so Robert was taking that very personally, and John talked about how much he liked this movie. And um, uh, you know, the only thing about it is, you know, you're on live terrestrial radio, oh, yeah. um, That's right. and there's a seven second dump button. But fortunately, we somehow managed to keep Robert from like swearing and or murdering people in the studio. Okay. Um, so I haven't brought it up since then. Um, well, uh, I would think now might be the perfect time. <laughs> yes, John, I know you're going to listen to this one. <laughs> Maybe we'll get that one before you're back from injured reserve. Yeah. I actually don't believe John exists because you, you guys keep talking about him every time I show up. He's nowhere around. I, I you always just, have a reason. He oh, just, he's off taking care of his family. I he's can, in India. I can actually oh, okay, show you a you picture know? of him, but yeah, the problem sure, is... That's nice. It's a picture of his. Of his I can hip show surgery. you a, yeah. the history of John Bon Jovi's hairstyles too. It doesn't mean he's here, you know. All right, well. John's our angel investor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And when anything he's, goes wrong, we can just blame it on him. We're, we're, it's uh, sort of shout like out char- to Fred Klein. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, we're, well, we're, we're never going to get him on the show. Digging deep inside. No, we're working on that one too. Maybe that's another one we need to record before John's back. Get, line him up. Oh man. Hey. <laughs> I, I have a question for Elaine. Um, you've been very busy lately. You, yeah. You know, you hanging out with Paul Draper. Yeah. Um, right. That it must have been. Yeah, I know. That so was you kind really of really like, if, if, if you recall, you kind of like teased that a little bit when you were on last, whenever we, you know, the famous soap episode, um, <laughs> uh, you asked us, and I think we all sort of like stared at you dumbfounded, um, if we had one question to ask Paul Draper, oh, what, right. would you, what would we yeah, ask Yeah, you guys him? didn't come up with a single we question. We came up with nothing, really. Uh, well, that's too intellectual for us. Um, how about the Zinfandel? Um, right. No, I don't... Yeah, we should have asked wait, we her been like, to ask him to be on the podcast. Right, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what you just said. Will you be on we the Winemakers podcast? Well, come hang out with these guys in Sonoma and talk about John Myers the mythical... Figure. Um, yeah, so that Texom. Yep. Yeah, I presented, I spoke in four seminars at lunch and then poured for two hours at Texom in two days. That's in two days yeah. with like all of the world's greatest Psalms from all the different. Well, it's like top wine professionals from all over the world across mm, yeah. all aspects of the industry and trade. So, well, who puts that on? Um, so, Texom. So, it's uh, it's actually what's incredible is it's a group of three people handle all the logistics and organizing, all the planning. Um, they basically spend all year doing it, and then it's this brilliant model because they, I think it was about forty seminars over two days get put on, wow. but they bring a combination of masters of wine, master sommeliers, and then top. Um, professionals and like journalists um, regional specialists and they all get mixed together to present seminars on various topics across the industry and then um, and then sommeliers from across North America apply to volunteer for the event they have to actually be accepted as volunteers but then if they are accepted as volunteers they fly in as much as a week early and um, volunteer their time to handle all the glass polishing, logistics, organization, um, you know, pulling off the physical details of the event. But while there, 
they get their own unique tasting opportunities from all different sorts of wine brands. They get their own educational seminars. Yeah. The people that um, that'll speak at Texan but fly in early to give seminars and. Uh, and they all get to connect with each other all, from all over the country, yeah. you know. And then during TechSum itself, if um, the schedules are handled in a way so that they can all attend some seminar at least, but they're also getting to meet all the speakers. And then on top of that, because of this convergence of like emerging um, service talent from all over North America alongside already respected speakers from all over the world, the top wine brands from all over the world are all vying to get, you know, get their Everybody wines in little, yeah so like and, and isn't so there yeah. some sort of a wine competition yeah and then on top involved? of that there's a regional um sommelier competition um so you have to you can't have passed the advanced sommelier certification and you can't have won best sommelier competition before for texom but then if you're from texas or any of the states touching texas you can you can do this three-part exam much like what the court does, you know, theory, service, and uh, what would the other one be? Tasting. Tasting, that's right. <laughs> Tasting. Uh, uh, and then, anyway, so then then they, reco- they recognize uh, emerging top talent from the Southwest, essentially, or the South, essentially. But then the other side of the year, in February, so Texom's every August, um, we just had it, and then in February every year, there's the Texom International Wine Competition. That's okay. So that's wines from all over the world. Um, are brought together in competition and there's 70 to 80 judges again from all over the world masters of wine master sommeliers and top regional specialists um, are all brought together as judges and that's become the most respected wine competition in the United yeah. States yeah. so wow. yeah. yeah and considered one of the best of the world so yeah I can imagine what city does it take place in both are in Dallas okay. and then the yes the wine competitions every February but then those the wines that win medals are also poured and shown at Texom in August, so you have the chance to see what did well, you know, later in the year. I'm just thinking about the dinners that are going on that week while all those people are in town and oh yeah, being yeah a, no, and the bottles yeah. being opened, yeah. right? Yeah, because yeah, everybody a week brings to be selling wine in a restaurant. The, um, <laughs> well, and you know, all these these wine professionals, you know, they're all bringing wine with them, yeah. right? Trying to well, look what I got for tonight. Right. So. Someone, the way someone described it to me this year, you know, because I just came back from there and uh, somebody was like we basically set up burning man and burn it in two days it's like the burning man of wine you know because it's like the amount of wine that's brought together another comment somebody made is so if a bomb god forbid went off in the lobby of the hotel that hosts Texom, the international wine community would like cave in because they're is there like a last survivor where you know every everywhere has like yeah, one psalm that can't go? Jeff, Jeff, Dun- Jeff Dunnick is underground right. somewhere <laughs> in California, <laughs> just in case. Oh my God. Nobody flies on the same plane. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> hey, I wanted to give you guys exact percentages on that last wine. So it's seventy-eight. Oh, this is the, uh, the Zinfandel, eleven Carignan, two percent Grenache, two percent Rousson, two percent Picpoul, two percent Movedra, two percent Grenache Blanc. One percent Trousseau Gris. So it sounds Nobody like does that much math. Well, but it, it sounds like it's probably from a field blend right. vineyard that's been identified. Gary right? Venturi's vineyard in Calpella, north of Ukiah. Calpella, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's picked for rosé. You're saying, or I, you don't know? Because the other option with a pr- blend like that is tailings. You know, it's, it, right. it, it tastes. Tailings. It tastes a little bit to me like it might be Saunier. I don't know. It's it's a little I, round for my taste, to be honest. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah. yeah. No, that's I and mean, I the think interesting th- thing about it is like 
it's it kind of smells like Zinfandel, alcohol, right? It does smell like it kind of smells like Zinfandel, which makes sense. Yeah, um, you know, Zinfandel rose is uh, popular but difficult. Um, you know, people are making it right now. My cousin just got a shout out for his white Zinfandel. The thing is, when it's dry, it can be really good. Right. You know, um, you know unfortunately, historically, there's a precedent for a different style. But but the truth is, Zinfandel can make good rosé. So. And I think that that's why I like it is that mouth filling quality to it. It's. It would be it would be curious to hear what the process was because, you know, old vine zin is also it's pretty easy to go in and do an early. I mean, you know, a, a field blend zin pretty easy to go in and do a rosé pick. Right. You know, just take everything, anything that's got still some green on it or some, you know, hasn't turned all the way. I mean, there are people that do that style also. So, um, what do they sell it for? 28? 28 Twenty-eight bucks. That's pretty good. Shot It'd be, I mean, to do that kind of pick on the old vines up there, get expensive. Right. So, but yeah. So maybe that's why you get a, I mean, you know, if I had a choice between my last $30 to buy this. Or the Hampton water, um, probably buy this if I had to, you know, instead of like a sandwich. But yeah, but the pro- the the challenge with a thirty dollar <laughs> bottle of wine is there's actually incredible wine from all over the world you can get at that price range. So right, you know, um, so when you put this bottle alongside that lineup, right, it's uh, it's going to be a lot harder to sell. Where do, That's where why do you make you, it fifty dollars, and then there's no yeah, competition. Right. Where do you buy wines? Typically, I mean, where do you buy the majority of your wines? Well, like I just bought some champagne at Bottle Barn this weekend. It was yeah. my birthday, and yeah. uh, I wanted Rosé de Sagné champagne, which of course is not Sagné Rosé still wine. It's uh, champagne that's made by actually macerating the fruit. That's why it's a rosé color, you know. So it's not juice add; it's actually macerated to skin be. contact. Yeah, yeah, which and I just really love that style. Um, I love champagne, and then you do rosé de Sagne and you just have all this mouth stimulation, yeah. you know, which I love, and the color's gorgeous. And so, anyway, Bottle Barn actually has a really good range of wines, and I feel like they went through a little reboot in the last year and a half or so, you know? Um, so I was just up there this weekend. Um, it That's interesting you say that the reboot, because it i think with the fact that they're doing the online stuff yeah. is they're moving more it, products so yeah. they're able so to they bring in the opportunity to bring in other a, stuff more range of things yeah. yeah yeah i think so too yeah so are we, are we talking about a cremant or are you talking about a what did you no, pick no, no, it was champagne yeah but yeah so le mandier bernier was one of them and um I can never understand when they say the names of them. <laughs> then why and did the you other, ask? I, yeah, and then it, I was hoping it was like it was the Rotor Brut Rosé. No. <laughs> no, and then the other one was just Auvergne <laughs> That's one of my favorites, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and how much did you pay for them? Those, uh, I think one was forty-five, um, and the other was fifty. Okay. You know, so which is kind of the sweet spot for. For champagne, good, that's good, good, you know, that's not expensive yeah, for exactly. champagne. Well, and don't you think really that champagne is like wines. the last bastion of super value-oriented wine? I mean, it seems like champagne. You're still getting it. We get quality champagne still at a good price. Um, well, shoot, you can go to Sonoma Market here and get and get forty dollars champagne. That's really good, you know. Yeah. So yeah, I get what you're, I get what you're saying. I mean, it, you, obviously, um, every day is not going to be forty-five dollar wine for a lot of us, but. Yeah. But um, but for a special occasion wine, yeah. you get something that's you know you're not paying a eighty yeah. seventy five eighty hundred bucks for. Right, yeah. well, it gives you the chance to buy two bottles. Right. 
Which is what I did. Which is what you did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. What well, I drank and watching Endgame. Endgame. Oh, uh, 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 Marvel Universe. Marvel Universe. Still pissed off at Marvel, but you know, it's, what are you gonna do? Why are we pissed off at Marvel? Well, about Spider Man. Is it yeah, a, Infinity War just really made oh, me angry? You know, based on movies, not like yeah, they, no, no, no. no. Like, I just the um, like, the snap disappear move on Infinity War made me really mad, and uh, and everybody was like, "Don't worry, they're gonna bring them back," and I was like, "I know," but the level of manipulation they're having to do to the storyline to like snap them back. Uh, you know, it's like Deus Ex Machina. It's a problem, right? You have to right. bring in the hand of God literally to make this work. You see, you're starting to get me worked up now. Yeah, no, and, uh, go and, bring uh, it. And, but then what that means is it's like massive emotional ma- manipulation of the audience, and I just was not down. At the same time, having rewatched the entire... Okay, so I decided I wasn't going to watch... After Infinity War, I was so mad, I was not going to watch anymore. I was pissed off. I invested a decade of my life, right, <laughs> watching Marvel Universe movies. And then they go and snap everybody away. And I, and I know then you're supposed to wait until the resolution of this problem, right? So they're just <laughs> demanding you watch more movies. Right. And I was like, no way, man. I don't, I'm not willing to do this. So I decided I wasn't going to watch anymore. And then and then Captain Marvel came out. Everybody kept telling me I had to. I'm like, don't tell me what to do. You know? <laughs> and then Endgame <laughs> Tell comes me how to live my life. Yeah. <laughs> Endgame comes out, everybody again. I have you my have to reasons. watch this. And so I decided finally I'd wait a year. And then it was okay to watch them. But only if I watched all of them in order on release right. first. This is a problem with being a Virgo. And uh, so I watched all of in order upon of release over two weeks, and then watched Captain Marvel and Endgame. And I agree, those are both really well done movies. But my what I decided afterwards was that basically the Infinity War move, where they snap, crackle, pop, everybody disappears, was was really about them having to reconstruct a universe that would line up with all the social changes that have happened in the last two years. Wow. So it's basically Endgame establishes a Me Too friendly universe. Because the founding of Marvel, way back with Iron Man, Iron Man is not a Me Too friendly character. Right. Right? True. They go through and they completely remake and now establish the rebuild of a universe that has diversity. All the heroes now are people of color, women, and and still dudes right it's cool you guys can hang out we don't we don't want to get rid of you just like rebalance things there's still some super hero use for white men so because that was the fear with wonder woman is that you know when you watch wonder woman it's like oh they're just going to use this as slaves and if they want at any time well that's dc they're dark man you know you got to be careful with dc they like really like to go there you know but marvel's trying to get along with people you know so anyway so marvel my 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 claim now, I'm still pissed off at him, but my claim is that Marvel basically rebooted but and created a Me Too friendly universe so that people keep watching and they'll inspire and if a new it was, generation. If it was just that easy. Well, right. you're right, inspiring a new that's, generation. So that's good. Yeah. The thing that I realized watching Endgame, like my daughter was, she's 19, she'll be 20 in October, and the things that she was getting excited about were thing, you know, moments in the movie where there would be this like cadre of women that were making the difference right. to, in their success in the film. Suddenly, you know, the three leads of the you know royal family and Black Panther reemerge. You know, and it's like my daughter is growing up in a cinematic universe, not just Marvel but across the board, 
where black people are the champion leads with a positive storyline, where gay people actually get to be people instead of just jokes, you know, where women are actually heroes of the story and not don't have to be man-hating to do it. Yeah. She's growing up in that world. I've been intentionally actually thinking, because I've been thinking about this, I was like, okay, I'm going to go back and watch movies I grew up with. And it's all women choosing between two guys and the one guy is kind of a schlep but really good to her and the other guy is a total jackass but in the end loves her and she picks him and it's like neither was a good choice you know a schlep that's nice to you or an asshole that says he le- like how's you know that's what i grew up with right as movie options well i mean there's no doubt that <laughs> movies well, per- i think i'm sorry perfect example think of uh uh the one with ducky and uh, Molly Ringwald, yeah, six, yeah, yeah. right, candles. where he loves right. her. He's a good guy, but of course she wants the, the yeah, rich yeah. dude. The rich dude who's right. a, yeah, he's not a crazy jerk like his best friend. The other one I just but he's watched, borderline though, douchebag. Yeah. yeah, but Reality Bites is a great uh, example yeah, too, where Ben that. Stiller's a, like a he's the schlep, and then Ethan Hawke, you know, finally he has his crying thing, so now that he has feelings, we yeah. like him, but he's a total jerk to her the yeah. whole movie. But you know, so anyway, and and here's. The thing is, that's like those kinds of movies are a problem for everybody, right? There are tons of good dudes in the world. There's no reason to be man-hating. But at the same time, movies are like that are giving guys examples of you don't need to try hard to be with an awesome woman. And they're telling the woman, don't wish too high, you know? Right. So, I, so anyway, my daughter's not growing up with those examples. That's awesome. Right. And, so, and, and the thing about it is, if she was to go back and watch those movies that you speak of, they wouldn't, she wouldn't relate to them. She, man, she, she would say this. I mean, I always say those movies haven't stood the test of time. Yeah, yeah. And it's not that the movies haven't stood the test of time. It's just that time actually has changed. Well, thank God we're all growing up, you know? Yeah. Like, that's great. Yeah. Most of us. <laughs> well, you, you know what bothered me was, let's take it back around to Christopher Reeve in the Superman movie when something bad happens and he decides to just fly around, around the, the earth at a really rapid like, and timing. turns back time. So, like, why can't you do that anytime? Well, apparently you can um, well, but, stop but hurricanes with that. nuclear weapons. The snap so. back. Oh, did they do that, that too? Well, I'm, no, they didn't literally fly around the world. But my my point is, this is why it pissed me off. Because it's like, oh, we're just going to pull on powers that none of us actually have access to because we can't handle our grief. Right? So we're going to bring in godlike powers that God never weirdly exercises for our sake on the actual planet. You know? But we're going to masquerade as possible in our fantasy movies. And because we don't want to deal with the, you know, catastrophic loss kinda of kind of sounds like religion, doesn't it? <laughs> I don't know. I just love that, um, you know, our our guest today has um, you know, recently been to Screaming Eagle, interviewed Paul Draper, what tech we, song, we, writes we? for Chances Robinson. <laughs> The most animated and uh, fired up she's gotten has been about um, Marvel movies. <laughs> you guys right. didn't really ask well, me about the other stuff. I'll tell you anything you want about the Marvel and, movies. And the Maya, and the Maya Kamas Chardonnay. Oh, and the Maya Kamas Chardonnay. All right, so we, you know, bookended pretty well. Um, I, no, I actually, the Screaming Eagle story, which I haven't, I started reading this morning, hit hit the, the digital airwaves newsstands today. Um... Is you know, and the thing about Screaming Eagle um, is everybody knows the name. Most people wouldn't actually know what the label looked like if you saw it because it's you know as as sort of the opposite of level of hype. It's you know pretty simple, pretty small. Um, it's you know who's it, how many people have ever actually even tasted one? It's a thousand dollars plus at release. 
Um, well, what about this table? Well, you, you've tasted it. You've tasted it. You, Elaine, you've obviously tasted it. I. Um, he turned, turned down a visit. Turned down my visit. He turned down oh. a visit. To it was. It was That's a, how good he is. Yeah. He doesn't even need to taste. I, I, I have a spot at Oakville it. Ranch where I stand on a rock wall and I can pee down onto Screaming Eagle. What else do you need in life? You showed me that spot. And it's a, yeah. it's one of my favorite spots. <laughs> See the stuff it's like a that. View. It's it's stuff like that that makes me wonder how why you guys even worried that we would get rid of you like one in the Wonder Woman universe, right? Like who, <laughs> you know, that's a unique niche need that right? only you guys can fulfill. Anatomy. So Wonder Woman just needs to realize there are things that men can do, you know? That's all. But you hear again, that, Chris DC, Pine? DC, You're safe, yeah. buddy. <laughs> well, he apparently is going to somehow come back in the um, in the second Wonder Woman movie. That kind of makes me mad, too. Well, it's yeah, because like Superman's not. just going to come and fly around oh. the world a couple times. Oh, that's right. They're friends. I right. forgot. Why oh, not? no, shit. That's again, totally DC. It. Yeah, no, DC, man. See, this is why you got to be careful with DC Universe. Wait, wait I, but I want to know about Screaming Eagle. What were you doing up there? And is is that winemaker that young guy? Is Nick Gislason, yeah. Nick Gislason. What are you asking me about? He's a homie. He's a cool dude. He's yeah. a good guy. Yeah, yeah, I had yeah. never seen him before until with that. Oh, the master class in Oakville where right, your dad right, was right, on right, the right. panel or whatever, and and I was like, oh shit, that's no. The, Nick's a good guy, and he's a really thoughtful winemaker, and uh-huh. uh, you know, and he's leading um, farming choices there, and really thinking about how to how to translate the unique character of individual blocks all the way through in the cellar. You know, and um, and rather than doing the farming on one side and then the and then the winemaking on the other, he's actually really trying to think through the links between the two. And who's doing the farming for them? Well, so he they have a farming team, and he's making farming, helping to lead farming decisions with the farming team mm-hmm. there. Because it's not it's not like that big of a vineyard no, well, yeah. that's what I'm wondering too is did they did they up production at all through no. their history or they always make pretty much the same amount so it's the all first estate. vintage um, was only about 200 cases mm-hmm. and now they do 550 to 850 depending on the year um, they have the potential just in terms of planted acreage to make two or three times that but they don't so because they so they make wine from blocks across the whole I think it's 50 48 or 50 blocks um, and they they make all of them every year but um, the at least half the vineyards younger vines that they replanted after the new ownership because there are lethal virus in there and um, and so they a couple of the blocks from what I understand have improved to the level that they think they might start making an appearance in the blends soon but up to this point they haven't they've just felt like they didn't Either didn't have the right harmony with the other blocks, or just weren't at the level of quality that they need to be. So, so they're so so they're making wine from everything and learning from that yeah, process, exactly. which is awesome. Which, yeah, I have a lot of appreciation. And for then, that. are they doing a second label, or are they selling no. it off in bulk? They, as they put it, it disappears. It's sold off. In, so there's yeah, somebody exactly. out there making. That's Oakville. the thing, man. There's somebody out there who's making who has like a private label Oakville District Cabernet right. that is. You know they're contractually forbidden right. from saying that it's screaming eagle grapes, right? And it's probably like eighty-five dollars a bottle. Well, and <laughs> then know? but the other thing you have to understand is that you know even in the best wineries, there's some lots. Oh that no, totally. Just, they just well, turn well, out, and is, you'd go, "What is this?" No, you but know? there's also but lots you, that just don't blend in. Correct. Right? They could be awesome on their own, but they just Absolutely. don't work. Right. In the blend. Right. They know? don't add anything yeah. to it, and they only distract. Yeah, so yeah. I thought they so. did something. It's second flight. No, they ca- yeah. So they have a Cabernet based blend, the article, man. Screaming Eagle, <laughs> and then they have 
uh, Merlot-based blend called The Flight. Right. So when they first released it, they did call it Second Flight in an homage to Gene Phillips, right? So like as if her wines were the first flight, now new ownership, Second Flight. But they realized people misunderstood the name to assume it was a second tier wine right. when it's meant to be a sister wine. Okay. So they just recently changed the name, so it's just called The Flight. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't like a price drop off between Screaming Eagle and Second Flight when it was released. Maybe a little bit. I don't think it was. Yeah, I mean the the difference is that one's Cabernet mm. dominant, one's Merlot dominant. Right. Um, they both have both, but and some Cab Franc as well. But um, yeah, yeah so it was never meant less to be a, for the Merlot. It was yeah, it's a little less, but it it was never meant to be a second tier wine, right. and so they realized that and changed the name to just the Flight, and then they make a tiny tiny bit of Sauvignon Blanc. But that's not for release. Yeah, where does Basically. that go? So my understanding is the owner takes half and then friends and family get the other half. Okay. I got to drink one bottle and it was amazing. <laughs> it was really, really good. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And maybe come up for auction at some charity event or something now and then. Yeah, I'm sh- you know, that's the thing, right? They've got flexibility to do stuff like that. Yeah. But it's a, it is. I think it's one of the best white wines in Napa Valley. It's just no one can wow. get it. Well, I mean, and that's kind of the Screaming Eagle story in general, right? I mean, it's the most iconic or one of the most iconic Napa wines. There's less than a thousand cases made. You can't go there. There's no sign on the gate. Right. Like, you could drive past it a thousand times and not have any idea, um, you know, what those grapes are that you're looking at. It's like at. Area 51 it's, back yeah, in the day. If we yeah. all go at the same time, they can't stop us. Bring your <laughs> RVs. <laughs> right. Let's make That's a good. run on the gate. We're making a run on Screaming Eagle. <laughs> you heard it here first. Um, so, I mean, in that way, you know, it's it's... The th- there's so much mystique, so much hype around it, um, but from all accounts, I as I said, turned down my invitation. Right, um, actually lives up to it, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the, I mean, the big thing, just responding to what you're saying about the mystique, like when um, when I talked to them about whether they'd be willing to let me write an article, because the truth is, they haven't. It's been years and years since they've let someone have exclusive access like that. Um, I wasn't willing to do it unless they were willing to give me access to seeing what they do in the vineyards and in the cellar so that I could write a piece that's about, like, I I wasn't interested in dwelling on the mystique. I was interested in talking about what they actually do. Mm -hmm. And so in an ideal world, I could write an article that never even mentions how exclusive they are. Like, I wanted it to read like, no, this is a real wine article because it's a real winery. These are real wines, you know. It just turns out there's all this drama from the outside around it. Like and you could almost write the article and not even talk about Screaming Eagle till the end. Yeah, or something like that. I wanted to be able to do a piece that was like that, where it's like you feel like you've Winery been there a. with me visiting, yeah. you know, and they were willing to give me the time to do that, you know. So I got to do three days with Nick. Wow. And, um, you know, and we walked through the vineyard um, multiple times and um, through the cellar and tasted different blocks and the first visit was actually just a day um, looking at blending and how they th- how he thinks about blending and blocks and things like that and then um, second visit was a lot of vineyard time really slowly walking through all of the vineyard and talking about how he's trying to do integrated farming and then the third visit was looking at some older vintages too just because i because right. that was the thing is i realized okay wait the other piece here is how does this actually hold up right. how does it age you know right because it gets sold immediately so it's not something that they're having to age it's something yeah. that you know people are either buying it or drinking it immediately yeah. or they're having to do the aging yeah yeah, yeah so we opened up the 
2011 vintage, which is, that's a, I mean, if you're going to test a winery, that's a pretty good vintage to go Absolutely. to because it's such a hard year, you yeah. know, the wines did well, so. And? Yeah, the wines did well. I mean, they yeah. were, they were, um, you know, I really like 2011 as a vintage, but I also recognize it's a year where you need to know your farmer, you need to know your winemaker. So it's like, if you know the producer, you can get really great wines from that year, but it's hit and miss because some people really mm. struggled. But one of the things I mentioned in the article is like Nick grew up in the on the islands um, west of Seattle. So, you know, the, the San Juan. Yeah, islands? San Juan Islands. And it's literally one of the rainiest parts of the United States. Like there's just continual rain all year long. So for him, comparatively little rain. Right. <laughs> In, in the 2011 vintage. But so who, was he the winemaker? In yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So he had been there already for a full year with Andy Erickson as an assistant winemaker. And then he just stepped to the fore. And, the and what was year. the first year of Screaming Eagle? 92. So um, a lot of those. So she bought it end of the 80s and okay. made home wine for. That's one of the things. Like, who has that? She's she got made the, home wine for a right. couple years. Free Screaming Eagle, Screaming Eagle. Yeah. Right. Dude. And then in '92, right. partnered with somebody probably has one and doesn't no fucking idea. Like has some, you know. You know what? So it's happy holidays. So um, right. <laughs> I you know so I write for Jancis and she uh, she and I were emailing back and forth about Screaming Eagle and um, and she said that she actually visited. I think it was '94. She was here in Napa Valley, whatever the year that first wine would have come out. It was '94, '95. And Jean Phillips was, you know, the wines weren't released as Screaming Eagle yet, so she was still known as a real estate agent. I think she'd actually retired, but that had been her career. And um, and and Jean, like, very kindly drove Jancis around, and Jancis just knew there's this really nice real estate agent that owned a vineyard and gave Jancis an unlabeled bottle. She was like, this is the first vintage of my wine. So Jancis got a vintage. I'm pretty sure it was actually the 92, though. So Jancis, if you're listening, which you <laughs> probably aren't, uh, did you drink it? Is it like sitting somewhere in a box in some cellar in some like offsite storage lost to history? Yeah. Uh, so maybe you can email Jancis and ask yeah, because yeah. <laughs> which is more likely a result than listening to this podcast. <laughs> you can, we'll, we'll send it to her. So she's actually uh, on Instagram. the new World Atlas of Wine is coming out in um, October, and so she's actually going to be here in California in early November to do some, do some books, yeah books. book book stuff. So you maybe you could ask her yourself. Okay, early November. There you Keep go. an eye out. Yeah, we'll do that. Yeah, we'll, we'll so, be. Picking Grenache, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I am just curious. Um, the cult wines of Napa Valley, you know, Screaming Eagle was one of those first ones, um, or certainly part of that movement, if you can call it a movement. And a lot of those wines ended up being kind of higher pH, lower acid wines. I've never tasted any of them. Um, uh, but just in general, you know, across the board, is was Screaming Eagle that way, and has it moved into a, you know, uh, higher acid low, or lower pH wine like a lot of Napa wineries are trying to kind of go back to? Or? Well, I mean, I th- my sense of the evolution of Screaming Eagle is that Nick has done a good job at um, having his own signature on the wine right. and respecting the history of the house at the same time there you go so um one of the things i appreciate about screaming eagle is that they value space in the wine mm-hmm. i actually the way i think of some of the cult wines and there's a kind of movement in napa cabernet that 
I think of rather than thinking of pH and acid because I do think there's been a stylistic shift in that in California wine recently it's more about space so there's been a big move towards kind of um, something like compaction yeah. like people are trying to get as much density in that glass as possible right there's a lot of that going on in Napa Valley Cabernet these days especially at the high end but the um, space uh, ex- extraction density yeah I mean, all kind of in the same yeah kind of yeah so thought. but the um, but the thing that Nick's doing at Screaming Eagle is he's trying to allow open space in the wine and it, you can almost think of it as like the guitar solo needs a needs a break and a drum solo to kick in every once in a while so that you can go back to appreciating how good the guitarist is. Yeah. If the guitarist just rips it for five straight minutes and then the song's done, your ears are so maxed out that all this like really unbelievably technical moments that are would blow your mind, you're going to miss them. Right. And so I think of wine the same way. Like You need to have that drum solo in there. There needs to be that open space in, in the mouth that allows like what's incredible about the wine to show up. But there's this been this movement with red wines in california you know and this is at a small scale level but even so there's this kind of micro trend with producers trying to get as much density in the glass as they can and there's a way in which you have to remind yourself then to look at what's incredible about the wine you know because it's it's sort of the wine's built to impress you so you miss what's impressive whereas if you allow the wine to speak for itself it will impress you right you know but to let the wine speak for itself you have to let it have that open space you got to let the drummer have their moment you know do you think though some of that is also educating the taster uh, otherwise well but no i think it's a difference of the intellectual versus the pleasurable so okay. you know what i'm saying is if if with that this kind of compaction and density thing that i'm talking about the wine kicks into being a really intellectual thing where you have to think about okay. what's there yep but when you allow some space in the wine, you couldn't choose to think about what's there. But the wine gives you room to have pleasure. At the, you know, so if you're there, and I, I mean, shit, I'm a philosopher, right? I obviously like thinking about stuff. I right. just went off about the ethics of the Marvel Universe for at least like eight minutes and or something. And Bon Jovi's hair. And Bon Jovi's hair, right? right? You know, like the Which, aesthetic evolution. that was like my, you know, philosophy 101 day i'd be so happy with this day. <laughs> right you would have taken 201 as well totally yeah so totally. i used to I actually might have even gone to class i used to um teach uh ethics using doctor who and star trek so you know but anyway Perfect. um yeah i just um that sense of that sense of space where you allow you allow it's a like allowing room for the taster regardless of their education yeah. you know versus that denser more compacted style it's sort of demanding the wine's going to be the center of attention instead of allowing the experience of the taster of the wine to be the point you know that's good that's good that's that's good stuff i I love it you know um now i just have to figure it all out no i mean um the way i think my the way i interpret that is um allowing room for the vineyard to actually show up, yeah, 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 you got to have in space. The wine, right? If if it's all about how much you can push those grapes, you know, how many, you know, times you can put it into a newer oak barrel than the last new oak barrel that it was. Well, or in. how much extraction you're trying to yeah, get, yeah, exactly. Right. You know? But 
you... because there is too much extraction. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, I, you know, I, I've I've made wines that I definitely extracted too long, you know, and um, and I have wines that I wished I would have got more out of. And so it's always this moving target and learning. But yeah. you're right. I mean, giving it space, you know. Um, you know, too much oak it clouds that space. Not enough also doesn't allow some of it to show up. Yeah, because that's the thing, right? Like, ex- you need enough extraction, you need enough oak to provide a frame of some kind. Right. Right? Because, like, it's uh, your frame changes the way you see the painting. Right. You know, and it's this, it's similar with wine. So, you know, and, and that's where ripeness comes in, too. If you're picking too early, all you have is frame. If you're picking too late, you don't have enough frame, you know? Right. So... Because uh, the structure of the wine provides some of that too, and so it's just that, and and I totally agree with you, right? Like sometimes people like me who aren't choosing to make wine and like come in from the outside and pronounce what's supposed to be, and when it, when we act, we need to have more respect for the growers and producers than that. You know, we meaning people like me, media or sommeliers or or whoever it is that's talking about wine without making it. You know, so the truth is. Producers need that chance to get to know their site and to get to know how the fruit responds right. to different seller choices, right? Right. Because right. um, that—that's um, an I mean, evolution of, of understanding and talent over yeah. time, too. And 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 like right now is the time when I think about it the most because this is we're coming into the time where y- you make those choices that dictate that wine's life, you know, over the next eight weeks and um, or twelve weeks or whatever it is, and. So you, you, this is the time to be thoughtful. Sometime between now and Thanksgiving. Right, right. Um, well, it'll be after Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> we'll still be doing punch downs, I'm sure. Um, at, at any rate, it's it's good. It, it's it's good conversation, Elaine. Thank you. I, oh, I thanks. appreciate yeah. it. Is, don't you think there's some sort I'm of curve in? Uh, <laughs> it seems like in, in Napa Valley Cab, there's some sort of curve where if it's really cheap, you know, it's kind of looked at as watered down, and then it comes to this like mid-range to upper range where it's it's all about intensity and packing your mouth and then until you get the reputation for making these stellar wines then you're allowed to make wines that actually have complexity that aren't punching you in the face because people understand that you're a serious winemaker um i mean that's what i see in a lot of napa caps i was just we just picked up mark harold's uh, uproar that we're pouring at um at sante and i was looking into his past and I think his first six consulting jobs were people that didn't really have any um, experience in the wine business, but they wanted to make a wine. They had money. They had a house in Napa. They had vineyards or they were planting vineyards and they just wanted something that had um, intensity. They wanted, that's what they were looking for. And that's, that's the direction they wanted in their wine. And I think that there's something about um, if you are newer to wine or feel intimidated by wine or, you know, whatever that is, is sort of like the novice wine drinker. Um, those intense wines can be co- sort of comforting in a way that you could like, it's, it's easy. It's obvious right. exactly what's going on there. Right. There isn't anything. Um, I mean, you can intellectualize it for sure, but um, it, it's, it's the, it's the obviousness of it. that I think that makes it, um, you know, accessible in a really bizarre kind of way. Um, that as you get further into it, and I, you know, this is, I think, why 
you know, the Psalms lead the the lower alcohol, higher acid kind of movement is that if you drink wine all day long, yeah, right, right. that those wines become just assaulting yeah. and abusive to your sensibilities right. and your palate, and you start to seek things that are more interesting, more fresh, have more space right. to let you... Which you know, is why I'm such a big fan of your Dos Limones Syrah, because I'm a... I'm a I'm like a white wine drinking it's like a white wine drinker's red wine. Right. I mean you have the pretty aromatics and it's it's something that's familiar to you but it's a in a different but, delivery but it system. It has something that like makes it more interesting. Yeah. One yeah. of the things I think is interesting too though is like the Thank kind you. of work you do during the day changes what kind of wine you want at night too, right? So if you work outside all day long, Absolutely. you're going to want a fresher, lighter bodied right. wine because you need something to quench your palate, you know, mm-hmm. whereas if you're in an office inside all day, you go and you have your, your cocktail lifestyle. Well, then you want that bigger wine, too. Right? right. Like there's a reason why bourbon cocktails work for the businessman. He's inside all days dealing with papers, you know, and, air conditioning. Yeah. And, you know, right. it's and so there's a I mean, which is all a way to say. It's okay for people to have different interests. They ha- also do different kinds of work, right? These all these things all inform each other. And so, I mean, for me, a lot of it is tr- how do we how can we have sophisticated conversations without assuming other people are dumb shits? Right. Not that anybody here is doing that, but you know, like there's a tendency in the world Thanks, of wine <laughs> that yeah. where we tend to assume people that don't like what we like are wrong when actually maybe they just have a different life than we do. Right. You know. I think Steve Mathiason and his wife have a really interesting dynamic like that where he works outside most of the time so he tends to make his rosé and white wines like low alcohol high acidity she works in the cellar she's cold all the time she likes to have red wines that have that are bigger and deeper and darker and sort of almost soothing in a way Um, but but it's it's because of their experience during the day he's talked about that that we we kind of like different things so we prefer different wines and it's only because of what we're doing during the day so I actually just realized yeah, I'm late it, yeah. to my next appointment. I'm sorry, it's, I, thankfully I was, it's only a block away, but yeah, I'm sorry to cut and, and run. Like, yeah, I'm just gonna let her keep talking. Well, I figured I yeah I figured we like we'd like round out this conversation, and I feel like have we ever rounded out this no. conversation? Right, exactly. And the history <laughs> no. of so, a having you as a guest, but b really just sort of in general. Yeah. No, I'm sorry to run off all of a sudden, but no, uh, it's all right. We'll wrap it up and go from there. No, but so. thanks. So for I'm you. actually gonna jump, and I'm gonna yeah. let you guys wrap it up. Where I'm are you serious. off to? I like a block up the road. I got to meet some people for a meeting, so I'm, oh, I'm cool. nine minutes late. But okay. but right. thanks for having me. Thanks for stopping. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank nice you. to see you guys. Thanks nice a lot. Happy yeah, birthday. Nice Th- yeah, thanks. Happy birthday. Yeah. Okay, cool. Okay, see you later. And Sam, I have to say that I think this is the way that you should actually do a rosé tasting for your wine is to offer any other two rosés. <laughs> I, I mean... Say, you know what? Bring two rosés to the tasting, and then right. I'm going to taste you on mine, and you're going to buy a case of mine. <laughs> well, I, you know what I think is apparent in this is that these are three drastically different rosés, and Sam, yours is my preference, but I think if the Audutet wasn't here, um, I would, you know, the, the um, Mendocino... Um, it was Horace, way more interesting than, way more interesting but, yeah. than the Hampton water yeah. um, but and probably now that they're all sort of you know outside nothing's in ice probably as they're all sort of coming to temperature that, Peekaboo. Uh, yeah. that the uh, yeah. the Hamptons water is falling further behind okay I'll be the one to try yeah nobody's we're like we're talking about it but we're, nobody's opening that no, no I just did I just went through both both of those and just to see what they were tasting like a little bit warmer and this this chardonnay the chardonnay is 
Superlative. It definitely, though, has that aged aroma to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's starting to get there. I'm, I'm excited, you know. Yeah, aged but not oxidized. No. Right. I mean, it's totally fresh. And, you know, if you asked Braden, um, they bottled this a few months later than he would have wanted to, which probably would have helped it even retain a little bit more freshness. Um, yeah, I don't even know how much of this they made. Probably not a lot. Um, but, yeah, it's freaking delicious. Yeah. Like I said, it's, you know. The only bottle of California Chardonnay, for sure, on my trophy bottle shelf, um, for a reason. Yeah. Are we going to open that port? Oh, that's I, that's up to you. It's just a twist off. Go right ahead. I, um, <laughs> I got shit to do today, man. So, so, <laughs> so Sam, I let's. I guess it's been two weeks since the last time we. Yeah, did just the three of us. Just a little harvest. Let's just end update. up a little harvest. I mean, I I was amazed how far the Grenache at um, at Rossi went in Luke, a week. Yeah. I mean, like, and I'm gonna go up tomorrow afternoon, I think, and I'm expecting to be like really excited. So, I mean, I'm excited anyway. But it was amazing how quickly. Yeah, I mean, it things are darkening up. We're finally getting um, a stretch of warmer weather although today it's kind of fallen back again um where we're in that really happy zone of of upper 80s to mid 90s um when things really start to move if we can get another two or three weeks of that as we move into september here um you know i think we'll be in pretty good shape and and maybe have some time to eat turkey and visit with our families at thanksgiving um but you know, it's um, you know. So yesterday, I ran into the Bedrock team, um, gave them a bunch of shit because that's what we do. Um, and <laughs> who'd you run into specifically? Well, I actually uh, went went to meet with um, Phil Staley at Inkadoo to uh-huh. look at uh, making some wines there, and. Um, Luke Neo, Luke Nio, I don't, I'm Jerobom, I only really know him by his nickname, um, was taping up, he has his own little, you know, that's the thing, cool thing about what Morgan does, is he, he allows his staff, and I, I don't, you know, it's kind of in the way that, you know, Scott from, from Mountain Tides does, where, they, you know, he's, ma- they're making wines there, I'm sure that M- Morgan is, you know, fair, if not just giving them the space and the barrels or whatever, um, so, you know, that's how Desire Lines was born, Cody and Emily's wine. Um, so Luke is making, a, has a label there right. um, called Philomena Wines. And he was actually t- taping up his um, permit that you have to post for 30 days on the front door of the winery when I pulled up. So what I loved about it. And taking pictures of it for Instagram. Well, so. What I loved about it is when I got my last email for Bedrock, mm-hmm. he gave a shout out to both of them right. and with the link to, to sign oh, up nice. for the mailing list. Right. Okay. I mean, th- that's, you know, talk about uh, employee retention. Right. Um, allow them to have their expressive, you know, wine. I, I don't know what he's making. I don't know um, But I think it's something specific. He hasn't really yeah. said. Yeah. Um, but it's awesome. But he doesn't, Luke doesn't, he's, he's one, I love him, you know, but he doesn't talk a lot. Maybe that's why I like him. He lets me talk. <laughs> right. um, that's why I liked most of my girlfriends. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do we edit this show? No, we do not. Oh, shit. Yeah. We probably should start. My um, wife talks a lot, by the way. Um, I've changed my ways. You got changed. Um, 
So and anyway, they've been picking. So anyway, they've been. This is their tenth now. That was ninth day yesterday, tenth day of picking today, and we're at. You know, today's August twenty eighth. Are we talking about Contra Costa? So Contra Costa. Yeah. No, Contra but they Costa. picked. They picked Bedrock for bubbles, and they picked this Alder, Alder Springs. Alder Springs for also for bubbles. Oh, yeah, also yeah, for yeah, bubbles. Yeah. That's up in Laytonville. Yeah. Uh, and today they picked. Um, this is the one. Well, no, the one of the of the. Phil farmed bedrock wines, uh, the Campania Portis block of uh, it's like as you're going into Bartholomew Park right. um, the to the side. yeah to the left to the east of the road um, field blend of old white grapes like Gewürztraminer, not Gruner Ventliner, the other Ventliner, uh, a whole bunch huh. of things. Actually, check out uh, in- Isabel's Instagram account. She she posted what's out there, and it looks like you know it's this sort of rainbow, beautiful yeah uh, array of fruit. Um, so that went in today to to Bedrock. So they're they're in deep. I mean, it's like fully at full full you know not full capacity, but full you know full bore. Um, you know we. There were tanker trucks, or there were not tanker trucks. There were sets of doubles with the big five-ton bins going into Sebastian, in okay. and out of Sebastian. Yeah, that's so that started. Mm-hmm. So you know, but that's all coming from somewhere other than here, right? But that's all going, and I saw trucks going up to Kenwood also. Um, so, but Kenwood's been making so they make mum champagne at Kenwood now. Right? They've been they've been uh, at it for a few weeks already. Um, so you know, we're here. It's it's. But even my point being. Um, you know, Bedrock being at day ten on August twenty eighth um, is probably eighteen days behind where they would mm. have been. Um, you know, in a more normal year, they're usually picking by right. the first of August. I think really hot years, seventeen, they were picking. They may have, and I was, I gave this is another thing that I gave Chris shit about. Um, they actually picked in grapes in the end of July. To for some of the the under the wire sparkling, right? Um, so you know, in that sense, we're a month behind, sort of the peak earliness of like seventeen, um, a week maybe or so at this point behind where we were last year, which was about two weeks behind kind of new average. So, and we had a, we had killer diet. Diurnal shift, or as Bart says, dinernal. Dinernal. <laughs> the other, you noticed? I, I've stopped the using other, the word. <laughs> the other day, I remember I was in Sonoma. It was ninety-seven um, when I when I went into work at about four o'clock, and then when I drove home, it was fifty-two degrees. Right. Talking and that was over the forty-five five, five hours, six hours, about yeah, six hours. Yeah, six hours. Yeah, forty-five degree shift. Yeah, and that's. I mean, look, that, that's. Um, that's the magic of growing grapes in this area. It's the difference uh, between growing grapes here and growing grapes in Modesto. Right. Where it's at that same time. It, well, a, it would have been 107 instead of 97. Right. And five hours later, it would have been... Got down to 89. Yeah. I drove through... I mean, this is obviously... On I mean, the air eight. temperature might be that low, but the, the ground, you know, right, I mean, right. it... it, it Walk out on your driveway um, at 11 o'clock at night when it's 50 degrees, and if it's out in the sun, you can warm your feet on the driveway. Yeah. So, you know. I don't, somewhere, um, I was hearing about people spraying, so we use this like clay-like substance that we spray on our olive trees to fight the fruit fly. Yeah, yeah, we saw, were, we saw it at Rossi Ranch, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, the, uh, people actually spraying that on 
the floor of the vineyard to reflect more heat um, and then help it you know, be cooler um, at night. And I don't huh. know where they were doing that. might have been somewhere. I think it was Isabel who was telling me about it. So it might have been somewhere in France that they were doing it this year or... I'm not. I'm not exactly sure, but um, yeah, that the the ground temperature and reflective heat um, really have a lot to do with, especially this time of year. That that final ripening push. Um, That's weird. It just made me think of. Um, do you ever think we'll get to a time where people have their vineyard floor covered in some sort of substance to either attract or attract? light do you know what i'm saying like uh well i but the, the, the it, we're going for the opposite here right. now what you have people is actually putting shade cloth up in the fruiting zone so where are the very so hot areas so hot areas in, to right. try to but in a cooler area putting down like like you would in a garden putting down that putting down that a, black stuff where you just cut the hole for the for the root coming out right, right. you know um the, the thing is people keep planting grapes in new places and trying new ways of, of doing it. So, you know, it wouldn't surprise me. And especially as we look at, um, you know, a climate change reality where the, the regions for wine growing shift, you know, to the north and to the south. Um, you know, if you're in the Okanagan Valley in, in British Columbia, um, you know, maybe you do want to, like, put some some black tarps out in yeah. early spring to, you know, retain, you know, warm the soil up a little bit, get things, get things going. Yeah. Um, well, know, I mean, as, even as you e- deal with, sorry, you know, like the short growing seasons, I don't know. Right. Or even, you know, like in Chateauneuf where the rocks, you know, do, um, affect the vines from the either reflection, you know, or cooling down and, and yeah, and stacking rocks, you know, flat rocks underneath the vines to, you know, less places for weeds to grow and um, trying to heat it up, right? Because the mm-hmm. rocks get warm during the sunny days and yeah. they hold the heat <clears throat> as opposed to just dirt. Right. Oh, no. yeah. um, can I just mention that I'm drinking the Chenin Blanc at this point? This is... Warm Chenin Blanc, too. Uh, this is the Dane Cellar Chenin Blanc. Wait. Bart, you make Chenin Blanc? He makes a little bit of Chenin Blanc. And it's got this <laughs> really nice... Probably not the job uh, that made your mom pull over and... Yeah. <laughs> No, My mom it. doesn't even like Shannon. I love the way this is drinking right now. It's got like a orange peel, green apple, nice acidity, roundness to it. Pass it over here, Bart. Um, and at this temperature, I think that's um, it's showing all of those things instead of when I and this is twenty six. Normally so is this drink the, it. This isn't the current. This is a current this release. Current. I didn't make a 2017, 16. I got extra fruit. Um, I have an eighteen, and um, I have a night. I'll have a nineteen. Um, so the sev- was the seventeen? I think you were I think not w- making that anyway, or was that a fire I, casualty? Uh, no, it was. I decided not to make it because I accepted more fruit than what I should have in sixteen. Um, I got you know really excited, and there was room on the truck, so I said, "Go ahead and send yeah, me load some it up, more." Load it up. And then I think also part of the thing with the sixteen is I was so excited about the wine. I think I really released it before it was ready. I think mm. if I would have had more patience. Um, was this I, the first vintage from Mendocino? Yeah. And I really think it's showing probably as, I mean, Brian, you've tasted a lot. I think it's showing better now than really? it really ever totally. has. Yeah, I think it's a more um, rounded wine. Yeah. And and, and, and and it's more interesting now. Yeah. And, I mean, that's something that um, 
I struggle with a lot in the wine, and I think that the wine industry suffers in general from is, you know, often these wines are released not because they're perfect. You know, the, the old joke about no wine before it's time, right? They're, you know, and I looking at three bottles of rosé, and I know this is the case for the Audutet, uh, and our and the regular and the sixteen six hundred and the sixteen six hundred kosher. Um, you know, these wines are going to taste better over the next six or eight months than they have at any time during, you know, quote-unquote rosé season. Um, and I think that, you know, as we get pushed by distributors and just inventory and accountants and bank accounts and cash flow and great bills and all these things, um, you know, that there's a lot of wines that we sell, have to sell, um, before they've actually hit their prime. Yeah. yeah, I mean, one of the things at larger wineries, when you have distribution across the country and stuff, um, winemakers and um, uh, accounting departments talk about crossover dates. Right. Like, this is when we're going to run out of this, theoretically. Well, can you get the other one ready? You know, and I know previous winemakers I've worked for, they would, you know, they'd be like, well, we're going to only have bottled that two weeks before and the marketing saying, well, we need it because we don't want to lose the space in the supply chain. And so they push it out. Um, and on the other hand, there's times where, you know, something's selling slow and you're waiting on it and, um, uh, and they need to move it, you know, and then that makes decisions on the next year's bottling because maybe you're not bottling as yeah. much. So that, that's a real hard thing to work with when you're larger, um, smaller like us, Sam, it's more emotional driven and, you know, when you need it for, yeah. for your clubs and releases and you're right, sometimes it's not ready yeah. or it's maybe it's not that it's not ready, but it's, it's going to get better, but it's going to get better and trying to express that. Right. Know? But that's a weird thing. Cause what is the percentage of people when they buy wine, they drink it within how many hours? It's, uh, the average bottle of wine is consumed within like less than eight hours of purchase. Right. So, so most people in general aren't buying wine to age wine. They're buying wine to drink wine. So then it's uh, right. people that aren't in the wine industry. So what that means is that you're sitting on wine, waiting to release it until you think it's perfect, which then you're hoping that the people do take it home and drink it immediately and drink this now right but uh, it just gave me an idea that's kind of a cool thing for you guys to send out an email blast and say hey you know what to all your wine club members the 2016 Chenin Blanc is drinking really good today I just a little alert I think maybe you should open up a bottle today right and what they'll do is they'll go oh, shit I already drank my bottle six months ago We'll get you one within a week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, thank you, we'll drink it today, and then we'll order more. Yeah. No, it's drinking really good, Bart. Thanks. Yeah. All right. Well, how long have we been going here? Too long. Too long. And what's going on? Oh, um, for the people who are, A, local, and B, listen to this in the first two this days. This is going out uh, three days from now. For three days from now. Uh, we're doing a last-minute pop-up house party on Memorial... Oh, no, what's this holiday? Labor Day. Labor Day. Um, on Monday, Garrett from West Wine Tours, West Hamburgers, um, just built this whole like awesome mobile burger making setup, and he's gonna bring it out here, and we're gonna have a good old fashioned Labor Day cookout, um, starting at about noon at the Tasting House. Um, yeah, Paul club, just told me I was working on oh, yeah, Monday. You're working on Monday, man. <laughs> um, club club members, burgers are on me. Um, wow. Everybody else, burgers are on you unless you want to come and join the club. And then I'll pay for your burgers. 
That's good. But if you join the club just for me to pay for your burger and then cancel, I'd be so pissed. No, why would you even put that out there? Because people do it all the time. That's the stupidest people, thing. No, ever. people totally do that because you've come here and you know if you join, we're gonna waive your tasting fee and and we cover shipping costs, right? So people will come and um, they'll join, they'll get the free tasting, and we'll ship them four bottles home. And then when I send out the email, they announce that they're canceling. Um, they go, oh yeah, no, sorry, we we uh, gotta withdraw. Um, so actually what I'm going to start doing, because I have their credit card numbers, I'm going to actually start charging the back. Be like, oh, well, thanks for coming. Here's your shipping charges and uh, tasting fee that you, that yeah, we waived. You know, I, I think that probably happens at a lot. Uh, that probably happens a lot. It's not just you. And it's people come here. They get excited. Just like when people. Yeah, no, they get excited. They get a little drunk and they go, oh, right. Yeah, Let's join the club. Our- and then they go, what the fuck? Are we, we're supposed to pay the PG&E bill. Right. Right. I joined but we really want that one. Right. Yeah, I know the. Nah, feeling, I probably so. won't charge. Them. Yeah, I'll don't just, take it personal. Take I'll it as a compliment that they actually decided to sign to be up. Bitter it. on my own. But yeah. if you come in here and join just for the hamburger, out come join for the no, hamburger. That's that's dumb. Drink rose, <laughs> buy a hamburger. Right. <laughs> I'll buy your hamburger. Right. <laughs> yeah, let me I'll know. Let me pay know. you for a hamburger today, <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> All right, let's get shout outs to. Uh, well, we got a bottle of port on the table. Let's drink this for Melanie. Let's tr- at least try this. Oh, is this this is. Kill this is from today. down the down the way. Yeah. This is the, uh, and of course it's not a port. It's because it's not actually from uh, Porto. It's Torrigo from, Nacional, it's a, it's Tinta a paso. Rores, Suazao, and Bastardo. And Bart, you got this from Melanie last time we were last time you and I were down there um, in her tasting room. So. I have some exciting news that I guess I can talk about now. Uh-oh. Is that I've moved production facilities, so I actually have a Yum. space within a winery. Um, two of our ex, uh, two of our past um, guests, uh, Steve Law from McLaren and Cindy Costco from Passaggio, share a uh, space down in the warehouse district here in Sonoma, and um, so I'm going to be. I've moved all my barrels in there. I'm moving all my production there. I actually bought a tank this year. Holy moly! Um, what are you going to put in the tank? Uh, probably Grenache. Probably Zin. Hopefully they're going to be spread apart enough. I'll probably get two turns on that tank. That's nice. Knock on wood. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, and I'll be able to have a place when people come to town and they want to pick up some wine uh, that I can actually meet them at the winery and hand them over wine as opposed to lurking out there, you know, right. the lobby of their hotel. So right. um, I'm very excited about that. It's going to give me some a lot more freedom. Um, have a little space, have a place to keep case goods, yeah. um, help other friends that are learning to make wine um, with their wines. Uh, yeah. you no, know, hanging out with good people. Like not that. that not that Casey uh, wasn't a good person. No, 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 no. no, no. no. It, what I'm saying is, is, though, it's it's going to be a little more family oriented environment well, in some ways. Yeah, and and I'm and I'm, and I'm going to be helping Steve with his harvest a little bit because he's a one man show also and. Yeah. Um, so, you know, during harvest, I'll help him out with that. And that's nice for me because it keeps me busy and um, not drinking beer at Sonoma's Best, you know, at two o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, but uh, the place is pretty close to Sonoma's Best. Yeah. <laughs> you I'm, didn't pick a wine, yeah. you didn't pick a <laughs> no. facility in like Santa Rosa to go to. No. <laughs> Although you spend, spend all your time at Bottle Barn. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, shout out to Cindy and Steve. For, I didn't realize that they uh, were, sh- they were sharing. So, they're not making wine on Adobe Road. The McLaren. Or the no, no, that's purely their 
their tasting and they, facility. And they actually live there, too, And right? they actually live there, yeah. Yeah, no, um, Steve and Cindy um, uh, split a, uh, a production facility on 8th Street East on the other side of the um, airport. Um, yeah, it's nice. It's sweet. Yeah, I had a really fun day there one time where we went to go try wines for, I think, for the Girl in the Fig program for their uh, Vineron program. And um, I was supposed to just taste, I think, some of Steve's wine. And then Cindy was there and started just pouring stuff. Seven hours later. It was about two hours later. And, uh, yeah, John, I think Jonathan Rupert, Rupert was with me. And, yeah, uh, yeah we, I think he was like looking at his watch like are we leaving here and i'm like are you kidding anytime you're anytime you're in a cave or a winery and winemakers are there and they keep offering you wines out of barrel never leave until you absolutely uh, have to call an uber <laughs> sound advice right i think cindy, cindy started in those days right? <laughs> um cindy started her harvest i think today some tempranillo for rosé Cool. Oh, I love her Tempranillo rosé. Yeah, and and Steve sounds like he's going to have some uh, Pinot coming in next week. So you know, nice. that'll be Bennett Valley Pinot. So things are definitely starting, starting to, to happen. Move. Yeah, starting to happen. You're starting to like, you know, see trucks yeah. loaded driving around town, and um, you know, people are got bins. You know, there's a there was at Inkadu there was a bunch of uh, new barrels going for Will Buckland. For Buckland wine, that's another person we need to like. Who's somebody at home? Please say how many people we've. I've said we need to get on the podcast because that's another one. Right. Um, it's at least like the third. No, I think today. we carry the Bambino uh, at at Sante. Um, at Sante. Yeah. yeah, and we pour a lot for. Um, we have a groups that come in and we do a little cheese and wine tastings, and typically we we pull one of those bottles. Nice, Curry. What do you think yeah. about the state of cookies right now? Yeah. <laughs> 16600. <laughs> huh? Can you give me something? Not just a painting. Curry. Say hi. Say hi. Say hi, Curry. Curry. Who's, who's here? Say hi. Say hi. <laughs> this nope, freaking dog barks he, all the time. He, he barked at me for a half an hour when I got here. <laughs> and now he's up on the counter. That's all he actually wanted was thing, yeah. to sit on the bench. Right. All right, With let's all get that. a shout out to Melanie at Boniche in Paso Robles. Melanie, if I had a piece of chocolate. Uh, lava cake or German chocolate cake. I would want nothing more than to have try a little bit of this uh, 2013 dessert wine. I want to give a shout out to Miracle Plum. You can go to miracleplum.com. They actually ship stuff. I got a. Um, I'm going to do a pickling class there. They have someone coming in that Ooh, does. I want to do that with you. Really? Yeah, for sure. Okay, cool. Because Maria's not interested, so I told her. I'm going your, without you, your, but I'm going. I'm going. Wife, I'm going wife. with my work wife. So, um, I got some curried cauliflower um, pickled uh, last got, night. Picked I got up some, a bottle uh, of rosé. Rancho Gordo beans when I was there. Yeah, I mean, the, I could have gone anywhere, but best rice, just white rice, some like heirloom California grown rice that we got at Miracle Plum that we've been eating. Oh, you've been there. My, I haven't been there yet. Okay. My wife and Al, you know Alice, Althea, and and Charlie Whitebark Workwear. Um, went up there a couple weeks ago, and huh. I, I think that Althea might actually work there now because <laughs> she's been there a lot. And I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Super cool people, and actually, they're going to be on the Bike Goes On podcast in October. Well, let's get them um, on our podcast too. So we just scheduled four shows. Okay. All right. Uh, go to the if you want to see pre uh, past episodes of that, and the the um, people from Miracle Plum will be on in October. Um, go to miracleplum.com. 
always uh, like to get a shout out to Bottle Barn, also uh, Sonoma's Best, Todd Jolly, um, Bart, and I. Are you going this week? Are you going out to Vine Hill? Uh, sorry, to Kanzler. No, you're not coming with us. No, I guess not. Well, do you not know about it? Nobody tells me anything. Or no, wait a minute. I don't listen to anything. <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> We're going on Thursday. We're going to go meet the Kanzler family. Is in tomorrow. Is that tomorrow? As in tomorrow. Yeah, today yeah tomorrow. Wednesday. We've been all over We're the gonna be there at ten, We're going to be there at 1030. We'll be home by 1, 130. Yeah, maybe. Okay. No, you know what? I, I can't. I, got, I, I, got, I know why. Yeah, I remember now. Uh, Althea's six month uh, right. doctor's appointment. Is we okay. actually did talk about this. Yeah, see, yeah, okay. Enough um, Hamptons water, and I'll remember anything. And then um, um, Bart and I are going out next week to Vine Hill Ranch. I don't uh, know if you know them. Is that, so is that confirmed. Oakville Cab. We're, yeah. I think it's going to be uh, Tuesday. We're just um, trying to lock down a time, right. um, so. but we're going to try some Napa cabs. Cool. Yeah. So hopefully you can make it for that. John's going to be super jealous. I usually turn down my invitations to go taste a claimed Napa Cabernet, apparently. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Screaming Eagle, whatever. Pete on that. Right. <laughs> well, if, yeah, if you tell me we're going to Bond. Well, that's actually the place where you can pee down onto Oakville Ranch. <laughs> oh, man. I love that wine. Anyway, this has been The Winemakers. <laughs> I think it's time we wrap this shit up. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Go to uh, radiomisfits.com slash the winemakers. Check out uh, past episodes. Leave us. Yeah, subscribe. What the hell? I don't think it costs anything, does it? No, but if you want to pay us to subscribe, we'll t- gladly right. accept it. Just send the checks um, directly to either 16600 or Dane Sellers. Right. Uh, and still time to sign up for my fall release um, on at danesellers.com. Danesellers.com. Uh, if you are not already on the list. And if you haven't gotten rosé for the summer and you want to finish out the summer right, 16600. We got rosé. Yeah. Adutet. Just Adutet, starting to get man. into its place. Yeah, it uh, is. We still have a little bit of the kosher and a little bit of the other one. Actually, the 16600 rosé will be going out to my fall uh, Phil sent me members. Um, just because, you know, when we bottled it and wasn't ready to send out in the spring shipment when everybody else was sending yep. out their rosé, yep. um, I like to buck the trends. I'm sending out rosé in the fall. No wine buck before it. it's time. Yes, exactly. Right on. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>